Our first scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, and then continuing on in chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. You can find that reading on pages 2 and 3 of the Pew Bible that is in front of you. Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, and 3, 1 through 7, reads this way. Listen for God's word. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to till it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the, of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. And continuing, continuing on in chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty. Than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made, he said to the woman, Did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And the eyes of both were opened. And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. Friends, this is God's word for us. Thanks be to God. Friends, I invite us to listen with open ears and open hearts to our gospel reading for this morning. It comes from Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Then the Spirit led Jesus up into the wilderness so that the devil might tempt him. After Jesus had fasted for 40 days, and forty nights, he was starving. The tempter came to him and said, Since you are God's son, command these stones to become bread. Jesus replied, It is written, People won't live only by bread, but by every word spoken by God. After that, the devil brought him into the holy city, and stood him at the highest point of the temple. He said to him, Since you are God's son, throw yourself down. For it is written, I will command my angels concerning you, and they will take you up in their hands so that you won't hit your foot on a stone. Jesus replied, Again it is written, 
Don't test the Lord your God. Then the devil brought him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. He said, I'll give you all of these if you bow down and worship me. Jesus responded, Go away, Satan, because it is written, You will worship the Lord your God and serve only God. Then the devil left him, and angels came and took care of him. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. As I spent time with this week's text and prepared to preach, I thought I'd reach out to my friend Google and ask a simple question. How do you survive in the wilderness? Would you believe that over 200 million results came up, ranging from instructional YouTube videos to Wikipedia stories about people who have actually survived in the wilderness. Then there were these results that were top 10 tip kind of articles that popped up. I clicked on a list that was 22 basics to surviving in the wilderness. Yes, 22. Maybe it is the type A personality in me, the planner obsessed spirit within, that wanted more than just 10 tips. But regardless, this is the one I clicked on, and the first tip on this list said, prepare to be uncomfortable. Prepare to be uncomfortable. I think maybe this is a good tip for us as we embark on our journey through Lent a motto of sorts to hold with us throughout these upcoming weeks. Thanks to the creative resources provided by a sanctified art ministry team, we will spend the entire Lenten season focusing on the concept of wilderness. Their art, if you've not seen it yet, is on the front cover of your bulletin, as well as out in the back in the narthex, and their written liturgy will show up each week in our bulletin. Sights and sound of the wilderness will be commonplace as we make our way to Holy Week. So this discomfort of Lent, it has already begun. See, our journey began just a few days ago on Ash Wednesday, as we boldly faced our own mortality confronting the frailty of this earthly life. It's not necessarily comfortable to receive the sign of the cross on your forehead in ashes as someone reminds you, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Our discomfort continues in these 40 days characterized by acts of confession, repentance, and forgiveness. Lent invites us to reimagine our stark reality and to seek God's redemptive, loving promise in all aspects of our lives. We spend these 40 days examining our own lives 
so that we might closer align our lives with that of Christ. These aren't instinctively comfortable tasks for the average person. If they are, we could have a conversation after this too. But they're stretching, discomforting tasks, but not necessarily tasks that are intended to be harmful to ourselves or to our neighbors. In this case, preparing to be uncomfortable is very different than preparing to suffer. Rather, this discomfort shapes our journey of discipleship. This wilderness discomfort shapes our journey of Lent. So now that we have a little bit of a foundation of where we are and where we are going, I want to welcome you to Wilderness 101. In today's text, we've been introduced to the very setting of our season, the wilderness for a period of 40 days and 40 nights. This wilderness is a drastically different setting than last week's mountaintop scene, the scene where Jesus' transfiguration took place. This wilderness setting is also a really different one than we find at the end of Matthew chapter 3. Just before Jesus enters the wilderness, just before the text that I started with today, he is baptized by John the Baptist. He is baptized in the flowing, life-giving waters of the Jordan River. Then seemingly moments later, words later in the scripture, the same spirit who came down at Jesus' baptism leads him into the wilderness. We find ourselves on a different terrain in the wilderness. No soft grass to massage our feet as we walk. Instead, the dusty, rocky sand particles get stuck in the cracks of our dry heels. No safe drinking water is easily accessible, so our throats burn and yearn for a sip. There's no food to satisfy our earnest hunger, so our stomachs growl and grumble and churn in waiting. This terrain and this timeline, this entire wilderness experience, is not a new setting in the Christian Bible. We remember this setting from the Hebrew Scriptures. 40. It's the number of days and nights that Moses fasted on Mount Sinai as he inscribed the words of God's covenant for the Israelites. 40. It's the same number of nights and days where Elijah fasted in the desert before receiving a new commission from God. 40. It's the number of years Yes, years that the Israelites wandered in the wilderness in preparation for their arrival in the promised land. This setting is not a stranger. Throughout the Hebrew scriptures, the wilderness has represented a place of preparation, a place of waiting for God's next move, a place of learning to trust in God's mercy. 
we can find some comfort in knowing that people have encountered wilderness discomfort before. We find lessons in the wilderness experiences of Moses, Elijah, the Israelites, and now, Jesus. For 40 days and nights, Jesus remained in the wilderness. Jesus wasn't handed an itinerary by the Spirit on his way into the wilderness. There was no Airbnb or Verbo arranged for his stay. There was not a round-trip ticket arranged, nor an Uber or Lyft scheduled for pickup. This text doesn't say if he knew how long he'd be in the wilderness or what circumstances he would encounter. Maybe he arrived and thought, eh, I can do this for a weekend. Won't be that bad. Maybe he arrived in a state of confusion, thinking, whoa, this place is really different than where I just was. Where's the water source, like the River Jordan? Where, what is there to eat? Or maybe panic set in early because Jesus remembered the experiences of those who had gone before him, causing him to worry about how long he would find himself in this place. Where would sustenance come from? I think it would be easier to embrace the wilderness if we knew what was waiting for us in the wilderness. There's comfort in planning ahead, securing a schedule of events, knowing a start and a stop time, having a packing list, being able to cross off each thing meticulously, having a budget with a little cushion, an, an in-case-of-emergency fund. But more often than not, like Jesus, we aren't afforded time to prepare for the wilderness. We aren't typically given a heads up. When we lose a job unexpectedly, when a car is totaled in an accident, when a loved one is deployed overseas, you can fill in the blank here with your own wilderness experience. These are usually things we cannot be proactive in planning for, but rather we must be reactive in handling what comes our way. These experiences might lead us to question God's faithfulness, God's love, God's abiding presence. These experiences might lead us to question parts of our own identity. Am I loved? Am I cared for? Am I enough? Yes, I think it would be easier to embrace the wilderness if we knew what was waiting for us in the wilderness. But God doesn't do easy. Rather, the wilderness is a place that reminds us who and whose we are. The wilderness reminds Jesus who he is and whose he is. The wilderness shaped Jesus, but it did not define Jesus. Jesus' identity as the Son of God was set well before his entrance into the wilderness. 
Jesus's identity as beloved was set well before the tempter ever arrived on the scene. The tempter tries to take advantage of Jesus's vulnerability in the wilderness, tempting him in a systematic sort of Maslow's hierarchy of human needs kind of way. Tempter starts with a physiological need, food. Turn these stones into bread, says the tempter. No, says Jesus. God sustains me there. Tempter takes it up a notch, tempting Jesus' safety and security. Go on ahead and jump, says the tempter. Angels will protect you, won't they, since you're the son of God? No, says Jesus. My safety in God's embrace need not be tested. And finally, the tempter tests Jesus' need for power and prestige, saying, in exchange for your worship, I'll give you control over all the kingdoms of the world. No, says Jesus. I'm good. I only worship God, the creator of heaven and earth, land and sea, sun and stars. No, go away. The wilderness shaped Jesus, but it did not define Jesus. Jesus' identity as the Son of God was already set. Jesus' identity as beloved was already set. Friends, the wilderness reminds us who we are and whose we are. The wilderness shapes us, too, but it does not define us. Our identity as children of God is set well before our entry into the wilderness. Our identity as beloved is set well before temptation tugs on our sleeves. Our identity as part of the body of Christ is set in baptism well before our faithfulness is tested. Our temptations may take on a different shape than Jesus's did. We are tempted by a range of things. The myth of scarcity, when we look at others and feel insecure about not having enough. We are tempted by egocentrism when we make judgments about strangers or friends who make choices we can't seem to understand. We are tempted by selfishness. It lures us to look away from those in need and to live our lives unaffected by poverty, hunger, and disease. But in response to these temptations, we remember who God calls us to be, sharers of our abundance, friends to our neighbors, peacemakers, with our enemies, light bearers to the marginalized, humble in our relationships, selfless in our service. The wilderness shapes us, but it does not define us. The wilderness reminds us who we are and whose we are. We are children of God. 
We are the body of Christ. We are beloved. Before we get to the wilderness, in the wilderness, after the wilderness, we are God's beloved. And as Jan Richardson puts it, beloved is where we begin. Receive these words from her as we begin our Lenten journey together. If you would enter into the wilderness, do not begin without a blessing. Do not leave without hearing who you are, beloved, named by the one who has traveled this path before you. Do not let go. Do not go without letting it echo in your ears. And if you find it is hard to let it into your heart, do not despair. That is what this journey is for. Now, I cannot promise this blessing will free you from danger, from fear, from hunger, or thirst, from the scorching of the sun or the fall of the night. But I can tell you that on this path, there will be help. I can tell you that on this way, there will be rest. I can tell you that you will know the strange graces that come to our aid only on a road such as this, that fly to meet us bearing comfort and strength, that come alongside us for no other cause than to lean themselves toward our ear, and with their curious insistence, whisper our name, Beloved, 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 may it be so.